We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Uh, at this time, I want to invite Sean Stone to come. We got applause and Julie did not. <laughs> Listen, Sean, as you have probably already guessed, is going to be bringing the, the word to us this morning. Most of you know Sean is an elder candidate here at Emmaus. He, he's on his way toward being installed as a pastor in this church. And as part of the process of that, one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to give you guys an opportunity to be blessed by our elder candidates in the pulpit. We want you to get to experience their their teaching gift, a little bit of what it'll be like to be shepherded by them. And so for that reason, we have Sean preaching today and the next week, Charles Smith will be preaching as well. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to Sean here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to pray. We're going to pray for Sean. We're going to pray for the sermon this morning. But I also want to pray for the um, just just all the things that have kind of happened in the wake of the shooting of Ralph Yarl that's, that's kind of been taking place over this past week. Many of you have been following that story and have no doubt been affected by it, given that it's a local story for us here in Kansas City. It, it hits closer to home. And so I also want us to, to, to pray about that as well. So would you bow your head with me? Let's go to the Lord. And let's bring him these things together. Lord, we thank you for what you have sworn to us, that you will be our God and we are your people. And we know that what you've sworn is true because we're here today in your presence to relate to you, to worship you, to hear you speak your word to us. And so, Lord, would you, would you use Sean to accomplish that today? I ask that you would cause your power and your authority to rest upon him so that the sermon he preaches would bring encouragement and conviction to us in Christ. Let the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray also for uh, just all that has happened in the wake of the shooting of Ralph Yarrow. Lord, uh, we're grateful that Ralph is doing well. We rejoice that in your kindness you spared his life. But God, we also recognize the great need that's exposed through this event. There's just so much anger frustration, confusion in our culture. And what we need, Lord, is peace and goodwill toward men. This peace and goodwill comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power to make peace comes only through His blood because it's His blood that tears down the dividing wall of hostility between people. And so we come to You now, Lord, not with solutions and answers, to all the world's problems, instead we come only believing the gospel this morning. As we sang, the gospel is all that we have. So with this gospel ringing in our hearts and resounding from our lips, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come and bring peace. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tyler. If you can, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6. Verses 3 through 10 is where we'll be this morning. 
Before I get started, I want you all to know this, Emmaus. I've witnessed it firsthand, and you probably know it's true, but your elders and your pastors love you very, very much. God has been very gracious to us to give us leaders and men who love us so well. You should know that. This morning, as you turn to 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10, I want to tell you the main idea statement of this text. The main idea that I'm drawing from 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10 is this. Two kinds of people occupy the space of this earth. There are two kinds of people. One, whose focus, gaze, and strivings are for this world. And two, those who focus, gaze, and strive for another world. Their mind is attracted to, as the scripture would say, things above. They are heavenly minded. And as we've seen through 1 Timothy so far, the heavenly minded are the household of God. You may be here in this room right now and you may describe yourself as one who is walking well. You are healthy. You are passionate about the Lord Jesus. I want to encourage you and be encouraged by you that this passage of talking of the heavenly minded is for us, brothers and sisters, to be encouraged to continue to walk, to continue to march our way to our heavenly home with our Lord Jesus. You might be in the room and you are the exact opposite of that. A friend invited you. Or you wanted to know a little bit more and you Googled churches in the area and you showed up here. Or maybe you saw people walking into a theater and thought, I want to see a show. (laughs) But the lights are on. And this is weird that the lights are on in a theater. I want to encourage you that you can find your longings, what your heart is restless for, It can rest and be content in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be somewhere in the middle between those. Where you claim Christ, but you wouldn't say you're walking well. Maybe this week has has dazed you. Maybe something from your past is just continuing to creep into your mind and it is harming you. Brother or sister, I pray that you find Christ to be all that you have. Your full contentment as we've sung. I pray that this message would be one that would give that to you this morning. So let us read now our text. 1 Timothy 6, 3-10. through 10. Paul writes, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound or healthy words... Of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving, he has an addiction for controversy and for quarrels about words. And this controversy and these quarrels, they produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. And a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 
They imagine that godliness, being like God, is a means of personal gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people, not plunge themselves, plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me now? Our Father, guide us and help us through this text. Give our hearts rest. They are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Give us a contentment, a holy satisfaction in you. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our brother, our Savior, that we pray these things. Amen. You might easily see how I can divide this text into three sections. Three points, if you will. If you're a note taker, I'm giving you my outline free of charge. You can write it down and tune out. (laughs) Easy peasy for you this morning. The first section is verses 3 through 5. And there I believe that a description occurs. In other words, there are champions of a diseased and debilitating discontentment. There are those who champion this. Champions of a diseased and debilitating discontentment. Then we see the word but occur in verse 6. And in 6 through 8, we see the rebuttal to that discontentment. And that's this. That Christian contentment carries us to our destination. Christian contentment carries us to our destination. And again, we see the word but in verse 9. And 9 through 10, almost like a sandwich of discontentment with the pure meat of Christian contentment in the middle, that verse 9 through 10 gives us an example of discontentment, specifically with money. And I'm saying that desiring riches robs and ruins our reward of Christian contentment. Desiring riches robs and ruins our reward of Christian contentment. Well, there you have it. Note takers, you're set. First, there are champions of diseased, a debilitating discontentment. We see that he speaks of those that teach a different doctrine. This isn't new to 1 Timothy. In fact, because you're all very good sermon listeners, back when we started the book, you remember that 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4 talks about this. You can flip your pages really quick there. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. We can see that he's writing about these specific people and here when talking about the healthy nature of the household of God, a warning continues. It's not just specific people in mind. It's those who continue in those specific people's patterns as well. And we notice that they're champions. We, we, our pastors, have preached very well before that we see exemplars of the faith. Tyler taught of overseers and deacons as such examples for us to follow. Even Patrick uh, preached that widows who are to be enrolled in the church have a pattern of this exemplarity to follow. Now, friends, these men who teach a different doctrine are not exemplars. They're not an example to follow at all. However, they come with the same amount of weight and gravity and passion as others, and therefore I call them champions of this discontentment. They know it all too well, and they propagate it amongst the people. And Paul gives us the household of God, the means to distinguish these from others. He says, they do not agree with the sound or healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. In other words, they don't agree with what the scriptures say about the Lord. They may use the scriptures, they may know the scriptures, but they don't agree with it because they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. They don't know the words of King Jesus, nor do they, do they know that he is the true exemplar. He is our true leader and model to follow. He is the one who shows us the way, for he is the way. It's why Paul can say elsewhere, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What else does it say about him? The two characteristics are clear that he is puffed up with conceit and he has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Conceit and controversy characterize this one. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Why does he understand nothing? Well, it's because he doesn't agree with the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And instead, he has an unhealthy craving, a morbid interest. An active addiction for controversy and for quarrels about words. Why? Because he's puffed up with conceit. An old book by the name of The Life of Moses speaks about such a conceit. When in Moses' time there arose a rebellion, Korah said, why should Moses be in charge? Why, why can't we do it? So they decided, him and his crew, we're going to take over. And the Lord God saw fit that that wasn't going to happen. And what had happened is that the earth swallowed them up and took them away from the people of God, killing them. This is what it says in the life of Moses. It says, Scripture teaches in the history, I think, that when one arrogantly exalts himself, like Korah did, 
He ends by falling even below the earth. And perhaps if viewed through these events, arrogance might not unreasonably be defined as a downward ascent. And we see that even here in our text. There's a list that occurs of of what this unhealthy craving, this addiction for controversy and for quarrels about words, what it produces. And this is a list, but I'm going to, I suggest that we read it as a staircase. Down and down it goes. And each step is slipperier and slimier than the next. What? Does this craving for controversy and quarrels about words produce? It produces envy in his heart. And that envy steps down into dissension, a despising, a hatred. I want what that person has so bad that I will hate them for it. Whether that's clout or money or whatever it may be. And then the next slippery and slimy step is down into slander. Not only am I going to let my thoughts and my heart be affected by this desire, but instead I'm now going to try to influence others to have such a mindset amongst themselves. And so slanderous words come from their mouths that slips them down even farther into evil suspicions. It wouldn't It wouldn't be a crazy idea if this person believed such, don't you think? You see how it's reaching and affecting others? It surely is arrogance, a downward ascent. And this is what uh, characterizes, part of what characterizes these champions of discontentment. What does it say? That it causes constant friction among people. I think that's a good point. To say that a constant friction is there, and to say that even an unhealthy craving, an addiction, so to speak, is there, it doesn't mean that a one-off instance is worthy of calling someone a false teacher. In fact, it may be the means by which they repent is through such a time. What we do see is there's a constant. The addiction isn't to the truth. It's about creating controversy about the truth. Friends, I think this is a good point just to say this. There are many in here who like a good back and forth. But what's the point of it? Some of you like to talk about things with others who disagree with you. But I just ask, what's the point of the debate? You just love getting in there with the jibs and the jabs and the ribs. I, I think we're on to discontentment rather than seeking and loving the truth and loving our neighbors through our conversation. For what does this constant friction do? It allows these people to be depraved in their mind and deprived of the truth. That doesn't seem to mark one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, nor one who agrees with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And what? What else? They imagine that godliness is a means of personal gain. 
In fact, that staircase down is really just trying to build themselves up. If I can tear that person down, then I will be elevated. If I can just look good in light of them looking bad, that's enough for me. Personal gain may look like wealth. This gain may look like social standing. I press you back to my main idea is that there are those who focus, gaze, and strive for this world. Each and every one of those things is for this world. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would repent of that. And that this rebuttal that we're going to see of Christian contentment, that it would carry you to your destination in the presence of our Lord Jesus. So we move to verse 6 and verse 8. Six through eight. It says, but godliness, being like God, which others view as a means of personal gain, with contentment is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. It's true. We do not see U-Hauls following behind hearses. We don't see anyone being able to take it with them when they go. We look at the pyramids and it's disastrous. People thinking they can take their wealth into the afterlife with them. For where is their wealth now? Sold by robbers? And then Indiana Jones put it in a museum. (laughs) We bring nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. Dust you were made and dust you'll return. And it starts to make you think, well, where? What did it? What, what am I? Who am I? What's my existence for? And this verse right here tells us exactly that. It is leading us to say, why was I created? I was created for another. My existence, my being, my life, I owe it all to someone else. And I'm not talking about your mother. I'm not talking about your father. I'm speaking of the Lord God who created you. And it draws our minds to our finitude and how he is infinitely great. And verse 8, he says this, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. That's it. Food and clothing is all we need. Friends, Paul means a little bit more. He means a little bit more than just food and clothing. If you would, you can turn to Matthew 6. I'm going to read a large section of this because I think it directly applies to this passage. Or maybe even that Paul writing applies to the words of Jesus. The healthy words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to start in verse 19 of Matthew 6, and I want you to see how this applies with food and clothing and the contentment that comes with following our Lord. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. 
Listen to the health language here in 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your, fe- your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And I'm going to break from the text and declare to you, if you feel hurt, if you feel pained by this world, the answer to that question is emphatically yes. You are of more value than the birds of the air. Your hurts. Your dwelling in your mind of your value is answered here in this question. You have value to the Lord God Almighty. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to drink, about what you're going to wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus tells us to be content. That our Father cares for us Vastly more than he does the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And some of you might be asking, how do you know this? Are you sure? I mean, sure, I can rely on God to feed me and clothe me. But why is it more than them? I'd say, I'd say that the color spectrum that we have at wherever you shop is the same as the lilies of the field. And food is just fuel as it is for the birds. And I want to tell you that our Bible, the gift of our God to us, not just to those at the Sermon on the Mount, not just to Timothy and Paul's letter, but this book written to us by our God, it has more in mind. When speaking of food and drink, Jesus in John 6 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You skip down to verse 54 in John 6. He says this, Whoever, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true drink. Or my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate as they journeyed through the wilderness because they died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live together. Our Lord God Almighty leapt down from the sky. And he made himself nothing. And he bled till he died. And that is our food and drink. Now you might be here and you're thinking, why in the world did he read that? Because that sounds gross. <laughs> and I'm telling you it means so much more. That our Lord God took on flesh and died in our place. And we celebrate it. Moments from now, we will celebrate this passage. For we will take bread that he took and broke and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat. And he's gonna, he takes the cup and he says, This is the blood of the new covenant. Drink all of it. Our contentment, friends, in our food and our drink is here at the table. Our contentment for food and drink is wrapped up with what Jesus the Christ did as we celebrated weeks ago that he lived a sinless life, that he died a death that you and I deserve and that where we would have stayed dead in the tomb, in the grave, he victoriously rose again, the one who has ascended to the Father. Who prays on our behalf even now. That's what we feast upon. That's our contentment. You might be thinking, okay, okay. Well, what about clothes? Well, we sang about that too, didn't we? His blood and His righteousness are our glorious dress. As the people were in exile, Isaiah... Isaiah, however you say it. I'm not good with Bible words. Uh, honestly, I, just quick aside, if you're in my community group, we always, they always ask me, like, did I pronounce that right? I'm like, yeah, you know better than me. I mean, Isaiah 61, 10 says this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. And we all ask, okay, why? And he tells us why. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Our God has been so great 
to feed us himself and give us his clothes. This is what we talk about when we talk about a big Bible word called imputation. A big Bible word that just means there's an exchange that happens at the cross where he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So that we're seen not as sinful men and women, but we are seen as children of the God Most High. Friend, if you feel far from God, I beg you, I am pleading with you, come to the Lord Savior. See Him for who He is. Your heart's longings, the stirrings, the restlessness of your spirit, it's found in Jesus. That is your home. That's why I say that Christian contentment carries us to our destination. For it is this contentment that we get home. I think Paul means a little bit more than just be okay with the food that you eat and the clothes that you wear. It is rejoice greatly. It is worship exuberantly because Christ is our food. Because His robes are our righteousness. We move to the third and final portion of our text this morning. Verses 9 through 10 that shows us that desiring riches robs and ruins our reward of Christian contentment. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people, not themselves, plunge people. In the same way that that slimy staircase affects others around them, our desires for riches plunge people, others, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Two things I want to point out just quickly here. I've I've kind of made a point of it already is the fact that there is a communal aspect to our desires. Both our desires of good Christian contentment and our desires for ourselves. That these desires to be rich, not only may we fall into temptation, we plunge others into ruin and destruction. The second thing is this. I think there's a crazy contrast happening by Paul using that word craving. He uses it one more time in 1 Timothy, and that's in the first verse of chapter 3, when speaking of those who aspire to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. That same aspiration, that desire, that noble call, the same unction and oof behind that is found in the craving for riches. What does it allow? It allows that some have wandered away from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many pangs. And I'm begging you, If you were pained by something in your past or your desire for riches is causing you to to be prone to wander, do not do it. Don't be pierced 
with many pangs. Why? Because we have a Savior who was pierced on our behalf. And you don't have to do it to yourself. Our Lord God has given Himself over and above what we could ever give. And He has loved us with such a love that you do not have to pierce yourself with many pangs. The riches you desire of this world are minuscule to those that inherit the kingdom of heaven. Be heavenly minded, friends. So this morning, I have one pastoral charge. I don't know if I can call it a pastoral charge, so maybe a candidatorial charge. (laughs) Just one. It's to everyone in the room. Be content in Christ. Augustine said this. He prayed, God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. If you're in here and you're far from God, your searching and your strivings, they can be found in Christ. They are found in Christ. So would you repent of your sins and believe in Him? Be content in Christ, for His grace fills your heart's longing. You can find your rest. If you are one who is hurt or wounded or pained by something, may I remind you that Christ is your one comfort. As the catechism says, our one comfort is that we are not our own, but we belong to Christ. And if you're walking well, you're healthy, brothers and sisters, I praise God for you. And I pray that you would encourage others as you encourage me. Now we come to the time where we are going to feast on the bread of life, the cup of the new covenant. And I ask you, if you're one who's, who's wrestling with being far from God, that you're, you're thinking like, okay, what do I do with this? I'm just asking you to stay in your seat. And instead, I ask you to take Christ and observe those who come by. What they're doing is they are saying, they're declaring and displaying that Christ is worth it. That the riches of this world and the things of this world, they have grown strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. Observe who it is. Who walk here. And pick one. Anyone that you see. Because what they're saying. Is they know the Lord Jesus. Whoever seems most approachable to you. Speak to them. Say would you tell me about Jesus. Brothers and sisters. As we come to the table. To feast on our heavenly food. It's really easy. The first row is going to get up and come around and we're going to do it row by row and you'll catch on very quickly of how it's going to happen because it's it's pretty easy process to follow. There's hand sanitizer here if you want it or need it. You'll come by and, and grab the elements.
of the Lord's table. You can take it back to your seat and take it. You can take it as a declaration to all in the room right there. Some of you may take it and you have to use the restroom, so you're going out. That's okay. But find your contentment in Christ. Rest well in the Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Our God, you are so good to us. You're better than we deserve. We deserve. For we deserve death, hell, and the grave, and yet you give us life. You adopt us as your children. Lord, as we commune with you now, the taking of these elements, Spirit, Holy Spirit, lift us to heaven. Have a holy communion with our Lord, Savior. That one day we'll be actualized in a reality where we are at the table. Physically whole and present with our Lord. But haste the day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. May it come day. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.